Welcome to the Unqualified Scholar Podcast. Hey there. Whenever and wherever this finds you, I hope that you're doing well. It's great to be able to talk to you about marriage and specifically about our intimate relationships in marriage, how you and your spouse can have a better sex life. Now, in our in-person session, we were able to have three different sections. We went through the theological perspective on marriage. We went through some practical things that sort of lead into a successful experience in the bedroom. And then we were able to separate men and women and we got a little explicit. We talked openly about some of the struggles that men have and some of the struggles that women have. Uh, my wife was very helpful there because uh, I didn't go talk to the ladies, obviously, right? Um, <clears throat> so we're not going to be able to be as explicit. I don't want to record like explicit stuff on the podcast, but I do want to invite you if you have some concerns or questions. Hey, maybe your dad never really gave you the sex talk. If you want to call me or set up a Zoom meeting or a time where we can sit down, I'd be happy to sit down and I'd give you I'd give you what my dad didn't give me. I'd give you the sex talk from my perspective and how to uh, how to have a successful experience with your wife. And so I'd be happy to have that conversation with you, but I'd certainly rather do that privately. So when we think about our intimate life, when we think about sex, I think there's a place to start, and the place to start is really theologically, because sex is an expression of our most intimate relationship, our love that we have for our spouse. Now, a lot of things often get in the way, you know, we have the kids are doing their thing, and the dishes are piled up in the sink, and we're maybe we just had an argument with, with each other. And so there's all kinds of things that get in the way of that intimate moment. But when we think about the ideal, when we think about what God always intended for our intimate life, you have to kind of go back to Genesis and look and see what it is that God says about intimacy there. Or at least to read between some of the lines and see how God created Adam and Eve. So when we think about this, <clears throat> there's an idea that God exists as three persons in one God. I had a conversation with someone yesterday, and we were talking about how the Trinity, he said, well, Christians believe there are three gods. And I said, no, there's one God. Well, how is that possible? How, how do we work that out in the Trinity? And I said, hundreds and hundreds of years of church history has come up with that there is one God in three persons. And he said, so there's three gods. And I said, no, there's one God in three persons. And there are three persons in the one Godhead. And so that can be kind of difficult to wrap our heads around. And I respect that. But I also, as a, as a historical, theological Christian, I trust that the doctors of the church have done their due diligence. They've checked all the, all the boxes. They've looked at all the Bible verses. And as we study the Trinity, what we realize is that God is so much higher than we are. He is such a, a, he's a whole different category of being. And so there should be some things about God that I don't understand. And so the Trinity is one of those things that while it can be very difficult to understand, we accept and believe that there is one God 
in three persons. And when God created Adam and Eve, joining them in marital union, he established within our humanity a sacred sign of his love, the self-giving, life-giving, personal intimacy and indwelling that exists in the union between male and female was intended to mirror what God is like. And if you're looking for an opportunity to get into, you know, the theology of marriage, there's a book called Marriage, Its Foundation, Theology, and Mission in a Changing World. It's several different articles. The editors are Hammer, Trent, Bird, Johnson, and Thiens. And so I would recommend if you really want to get into the weeds, uh, here are the guys to get into the weeds with. But let's think for a minute about the intimate relationship that we have with our spouse as an expression of the love that God has inside the Trinity. So if God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit exist together, they are of the same essence. And so they are one God in three persons. What does it look like to have communication within the Trinity? I would imagine, and here my mind is just reaching and grasping to try and imagine the kind of communication that God might even have. There wouldn't be conflict because each knows what the other is thinking. And can you imagine what love looks like in that relationship where the father has this intimate communication and love for the son? And this, the Holy Spirit is also in there as they have this infinite love and care and self-giving for each other in the Trinity. And so when we express the idea of the Trinity, we call we know that the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but they are distinct persons within the Trinity. And so the way we can think about this and be helpful about it is whenever we think of the threeness of God, we come back to the unity of God. And whenever we think about the unity of God, we immediately express the three persons in the Godhead. And so that's one way to kind of keep things on track. And we talked in church and we talked in another podcast about a word perichoresis. Perichoresis describes the mutual interpenetration between the members of the Trinity. And it reaches and grasps to try to understand and express the incredible love and communication that God has within himself. Now, I just kind of like my, my brain gets a little fuzzy here because I'm a creature trying to understand the creator. And as I reach and grasp to try and understand the creator, what I realize is that God is higher than I am, that he is incredible and that he loves us in a great and incredible way. And so when we think about these ideas, I don't want you to be overwhelmed. I just want you to remember that God has this intimate relationship of love and communication and care within himself. And then God creates man in his image. And so God wants man, Adam and Eve both, to be created in his image and then to image his loving union to all the creation. And so inside the, the marriage book, it says this, it says the meaning of these relations, basic and foundational to every human existence, he's speaking about the Trinity, 
can neither be grounded in nor exhausted by creaturely investigation. Indeed, writes Michael Reeves, that in the triune God is the love behind all love, the life behind all life, the music behind all music, the beauty behind all beauty, and the joy behind all joy. And so what that's trying to express is our relationship. As I am created in God's image and my wife is created in God's image, our relationship images the love that God has within himself to the creation and to all the people around us. That's overwhelming because it I can't. As a creature, I can't. But as I get an inkling, as I understand pieces, then we understand the magnitude and the greatness that is behind it. When I love my wife in a self-giving way, when I communicate with my wife in a way that takes the time and the patience to understand her, I'm imaging in a little tiny way what God has within himself. It's an incredible idea and it's an incredible truth that God has this love within himself. And so you see this in the Bible, naturally. In Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And in the so all these ideas, image plus image, to image God, to the creation, that's what dominion really is. That God has, as the supreme creator, has created us as his vice regents over the creation. He's given that to us. Now, we mess it up all the time. I'm not saying that we don't. But when we think about God has created us in his image, we could look at a theological dictionary under the image of God. In Latin, it's imago Dei. And so, uh, as we think about being created in God's image, the dictionary definition says this, as it should, a term describing the uniqueness of humans as God's creatures. In the Genesis account, Adam and Eve are said to be created in God's image and likeness. Theologians differ on what the image actually refers to. As an aside, theologians disagree about everything. But most agree that the image is not primarily physical. Instead, the Imago Dei may include the presence of will, emotions, and reason. The ability to think and act creatively, or the ability to interact socially with others. Scripture attributes the Imago Dei solely to humans, and it indicates that the image is in some sense still present even after the fall. Above all, however, Christ, and by extension those who are in Christ, is the image of God. So Christ is the image of God, but mankind has been created in God's image to image and show and display who God is to the world around us. It's an incredible idea. It's life-changing and world-changing, really. If we were to think about other people as being created in God's image, how could you destroy them? How could you even speak unkindly to them? And yet we do. And we know that we do. Image plus image to image God to the world and to the creation around us. Interestingly, this separates humanity from the animal kingdom. 
Now we as vice as God's vice regents over the creation, we have to respect the creation and take care of the creation. But it is distinctly different from who and what we are. We are different in our being as far as who God is and who we are as those who are created in his image. But we mess it up, don't we? We mess it up all the time, and we referred to the fall of man in, in our dictionary definition of the image. In the fall, Genesis 3, what you have is Adam and Eve were put into the garden and told that they could eat from every tree that they found except one. And, you know, we think about that and we try to trivialize that, but God said, don't. And we did. And the resulting consequence of that is that marriage is broken. That we as creatures are trying to get. Like instead of having this self-giving love, I'm trying to take from my wife things that she may not have to give. A Bible teacher from a long time ago said, some marriages end up like two ticks and no dog. Each trying to get satisfaction from the other, but neither having that deep and abiding satisfaction to give. And so what we find theologically is that when we are redeemed by coming to God through Jesus, now we are connected to the source of love and joy and patience. And so we have the ability to have a better marriage, but that doesn't make it easy. The world is still a broken place, and marriage is still broken. And so when we think about these things, as we, as we kind of work through and talk through all these kinds of things, we have to kind of under, we have to understand you know, that what God says in Scripture is intended to bring marriage back as much as possible to the ideal. To the ideal of Adam and Eve living in the garden and being together and having that intimate relationship with one another. The Bible in several places says things like this. Husbands, love your wives. I'm sorry. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so the ideal of love... And husbands, I'm going to tell you, the ideal of love, and if you believe in male leadership, you're supposed to love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave, give yourself for her. I remember encountering that and realizing that I didn't love my wife enough. I mean, take the trash out. It's not that hard. There are other places and things that Scripture tells us about our marriage relationship. And one of them is, is this. In First Peter, it says this. Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, I, ladies, don't, don't take that weaker vessel wrong. Because what it's telling men is to understand your spouse understand your wife see her in the way that she is and all of her beautiful complexity and so when we think about moving from the theological to the practical you know you were created in in this incredible image of God fashion so that you could image God to the creation around you and in doing that you could have this intimate close relationship with your wife but you have to understand her you have to know who she is. You have to know how to deal with her, right? I mean, that's just who we are, right? As guys, we have to figure things out. 
I'm going to give you another reference source and I'm going to tell you about this reference source and I'm going to I'm going to offer some qualifications here. Now, if you are if you're a little bit of a prude, that's okay. God loves you. But if you're a little bit of a prude, don't read the book Bonk, B-O-N-K, Bonk, by Mary Roach. Mary Roach is a science writer. She's really very good. She's very funny. And so she's going to get into the scientific mechanical aspect of men and women having sex with one another and all of the possible things that could go wrong and some of the remedies that could help you overcome some of those deficiencies. In this book, what she says, really it echoes scripture when she says, my conclusion is that the sexual anatomy and responses of the human female are as uniform and predictable as the weather. Okay, have you ever had the weather guesser sort of mess things up and you don't know uh, what the weather's going to be like? Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. You, husbands, have to figure out your wives because they're complicated. And I know, ladies, I know if you're listening to this, you're going you're gonna to be sitting there thinking, okay, I might be a little bit complicated, but that doesn't make him uncomplicated. I, I get that. My wife and I go back and forth all the time. Sometimes she'll tell me, I don't know how to talk to you. And I say, use words. And she uses words and I get my feelings hurt and we get all bent out of shape and we have to figure it out. Husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. And I think that applies to wives as well. And so here are the five love languages. And so these are some ways that you can, these are some templates that you can use to understand your wife or to understand your husband. The first is words of affirmation. There are some people for whom a kind word, speaking a kind word to someone is the absolute most loving thing that you can do. And so guys, here's where we have to understand our wives and women. This is where you have to understand your man. And if words of affirmation, if being told that they're valuable or that they've done something good makes them feel loved, then do that a lot. You know, you can use this in your other relationships as well. When you have friendships or working relationships and you notice that someone likes kind words, go ahead and say kind words. There are some people who are known for giving gifts. You know, that's a pretty good indication that they feel loved when they receive gifts. And so when you notice these things about your spouse, if she's like, and here's where for me, okay, we're moving into the practical part of things. So we've talked about a theology where image plus image images God to the world around us. And now we're getting into the brass tacks, nuts and bolts. How do you show love to your wife or your husband? Words of affirmation is one way. Acts of service is another that you, I'm sorry, uh, gifts. Gifts is another. And as you give these gifts to your significant other, you're expressing and showing that you love them in a way that they hear it. You might not care about gifts. You might not think about buying flowers. I don't. But when I bring flowers home, my wife feels loved. And that's so important. Acts of service. This is my wife's love language. She loves it when I do something to help her around the house. Quality time just sitting on the couch you might feel like you're not doing anything but you're expressing love to your wife 
And then finally, physical touch. That's mine. I like to be touched. Not by you, you bunch of creepy people. I like to be touched by my wife. And so in all of this, you know, when we have these th different things, words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, quality time, and physical touch, what that means and how that shakes out, what that looks like, is these are ways that you can demonstrate love to your spouse. So if you know that your spouse likes physical touch, touch them. If you know they like quality time, then sitting on the couch with your spouse is not wasted time. It is time well spent in cultivating a relationship with your significant other. When my wife, uh, sometimes she will, um, <clears throat> like the check wife light comes on. The check wife light, in my estimation, kind of works like this. She'll be upset or stressed, or we've both been busy, and she'll say something like, you never helped me clean around the house. And I'll respond with, no, 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 last Tuesday, I was here and I was vacuuming, and I remember it because it was just last Tuesday, and then she gets even madder because the problem is not whether I helped or don't help. That's not really what she's saying. What she's saying is that her feelings are off. And so when she, when I notice that my wife, that her feelings and emotions are a little bit off, what I do is I make sure that I do something that communicates love to her. So if, if I detect, if I think that the, the check wife light is flickering, like she looks a little off or there's something twitchy going on, I'll look around the house and think, you know, I could probably vacuum or clean up a little bit and that would make her feel loved. The same thing happens when she looks at me and she's like, my husband is off. I think he's broken. The check husband light is on. She comes over and she touches me because that's the way that I feel love. Your wife might be gifts. You might need to, and don't buy gifts to get out of the doghouse. I mean, come on guys, have a little class. Buy gifts to express to your wife that you love her. Now, if you happen to get in the doghouse, you may need to go overboard with all kinds of things. But as we live with our wives in an understanding way, the core of that is to understand who your spouse is and in understanding who your spouse is, how to express love to them. This is my sink and you'll notice it's empty. That's how I express love for my wife. Oh wait, that's not my sink. Okay. Touch. Touch is the way that I feel love. And so one of the things that we need to be careful of as we think about our intimate relationships and some of the practical aspects of that, you have to start with communication. Now communication is the kind of thing that it's so important. It's ground zero. If you're not communicating, you're not going to have an opportunity to move further in your intimate relationship. Through the course of your life, there are going to be ups and downs, and communication is the bedrock that helps you bring the ups kind of down to reality, and it helps bring the downs up so that you're having and expressing a good and healthy love for one another. And you may have to have some conversation starters. So here's a list. How does the language used when discussing sexual issues make you feel? Okay, that's fair. Because some people might be super, super uncomfortable talking about sexual issues. And so, you know, for it, maybe it's icky or it's uncomfortable or there's been a bad experience in your partner's past that maybe they haven't even been able to tell you about. 
And so how does this language make you feel? And that's, that's a pretty safe question, I think. Describe a time when your partner gave affection that was satisfying to you. And so you have to do this. You have to sit down with your spouse and say, hey, when was there a time when I really made you feel loved? I can remember one time, I, I'm an everyday husband. I don't do special events very well. And my wife knows this about me and loves me anyway. And there was a Christmas. She likes puzzles and she loves her family. And so I sent some pictures to a custom puzzle company and they made some uh, custom puzzles and I gave them to my wife for Christmas. I was on cloud nine because I figured something out that she would love. I planned for it. It was there in time for Christmas. And so her everyday husband gave her a gift that she loves and cherishes. And so I can describe that as a time where giving the gift to her created great joy for both of us. When my wife notices that I'm off and she gives me a back rub, when she scratches my head, all those kind of things. And so one of the things you can do in the moment when your spouse does something that just really uh, connects with your love language, then tell them, hey, that really made me feel loved and appreciated and special. What can you do to strengthen your love for one another? Sit down in a conversation with your spouse and ask that question. Hey, what can I do to strengthen the way that you feel love in our relationship? And if your wife says, you know, I wish you would do the dishes from time to time. You know what, guys, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, do the dishes. It's not that hard. Or taking the trash out. I can remember being so mad early in our in our marriage relationship because in my mind I'm like your legs are not broken you have the ability to take out the trash but that's not really the point that's not leading into love that's not helping just take out the trash take care of the kids you know uh, dads you don't babysit your children you parent them and so you need to do that hey my uh, wives and moms your old man needs a break. You know, he might need to go hang out with the guys. Not every weekend, not all the time, but he's going to need some of that time just away so that he can decompress. What makes it difficult to talk openly about your sexual expectations? Yeah, getting into those hang-ups again. Do you understand uh, one another's preferences for non-sexual touch and affection? There was a time where my wife was making food for me, and I came up and started snuggling with her. Do you see what's happening here? She's loving me using acts of service, her love language. And I came up and started using my love language to communicate love to her. And I was baffled when she said, ah, stop it, I'm making you brownies. Well, I don't want the brownies, I want snuggles, you know? And that's where we had to learn and understand and appreciate the differences that we are as, as human beings, that our love languages, the way that we feel loved is different. The way that you feel love is different too. And so when you sit down and try to think through what your love language is and how to express that to your significant other, that's only gonna strengthen your relationship. You can do this as a research project, even without your partner's knowledge. You could be like, I'm gonna figure her out, do it. So another thing we need to think about 
there's this intimate union between husband and wife. Um, we're denominational. And so this is some ideas from our discipline, the discipline of the United Brethren in Christ. It says this, the Bible firmly establishes sex within the framework of marriage. Now, you as a married couple, you should be having sex. And you should have an agreed upon frequency, how often. You should be able to openly discuss what you like and don't like. And you should avoid these kinds of things. So the Bible firmly establishes sex in the framework of marriage. This design must not be substituted by something like pornography. It must not be duplicated by adultery or polygamy. We believe that one man and one woman come together in this union as image plus image images God to the world around us. And so it's not image plus image plus image plus image, even though that has happened in, in history and even in the Bible. It must not be substituted by pornography. It must not be duplicated. It must not be preempted. We are against premarital sex and cohabitation. Although we love all people, we want people to come into the marriage without having had sex before. It must not be altered by same-sex relations. We love all people, but we are not pro-gay marriage. It must not be coerced. Sexual abuse and assault has no place in a marriage. It must not be exploited by pedophilia or sex trafficking. It must not be corrupted by non-human sexual relationships. The world wants to tell you that sex is as significant as a handshake, that it's just physical, but it is beyond physical. It's theological. It's an incredible expression of the love that God has inside the Trinity. And so in this, I give you this quote from our, or this passage from our discipline where it goes on to say this, all are clearly contrary to the expressed will of God concerning the union of man and woman uh, in this most sacred and binding of human relationships. Marriage was always intended to be something heavenly, and yet we mess it up. And so as we think about this, I want you to think about frequency, and I want you to think about what the Bible says about how you're supposed to um, engage one another in in your sexual relationship. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 7 says, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Our intimate sexual relationship in the context of marriage helps protect us from falling into sin and wrongdoing in the world around us. And so husbands and wives, as you express this better for one another, you are protecting each other. You're giving and, t and receiving love. And I know, you know, I, I, I know all kinds of people. People will come and talk to me about sex from time to time. It's part of the job. It's part of being a pastor. And that's fine. You know, I'm happy to talk to people about their intimate relationships. I know someone whose wife told him, you have to take me out to dinner and romance me before every time that we have sex. And I was like, well, that's, that's pretty high maintenance, you know? Isn't there, like, is there something in Scripture that commands that romance has to be at that level 
before intimacy. No, the Bible says do not deprive one another. I know people whose libidos are mismatched, where one partner wants more than the other. We talked about this at church in the, in the private session, and so I won't get too much in detail here, but I will say this, do not deprive one another means that if your partner has needs, meet your partner's needs. And there are any number of different ways that we can do this. We have conversations about um, what kind of literature may be appropriate to help stimulate someone's libido. We were opposed to pornography, but that doesn't mean that we're opposed to all forms of literature. I mean, go read the Song of Solomon with your spouse and understand some of the pictures that it describes. That might get your motor running. Spend the kind of time loving one another in a way that makes sense for you, for you both. In that conversation about who you are and what you desire, it's okay to talk about um, toys, whether that's appropriate or not for you. That's something that you and your partner have to decide. And, and maybe go shopping together. Now, I'm not suggesting that you run down to the local sex shop in your town and uh, go prouncing in there, you know, and trying to see who else is there. But there are so many opportunities online that avoid pornography. One of them is called Covenant Spice, um, and it's a website that is a Christian website. You can Google Christian sex toys, and it will take you to porn-free websites where you can discover uh, some ways that you can help spice things up in the bedroom. Now, all of this, so I'm going to stop there. I'm going to say, we talked more in the private session at church. We, we were able to separate. We were able to uh, talk about all these things. But if you're not talking to your partner about what you want in your intimate life, you may be placing yourself at risk after all. The scripture says, come together again so that Satan won't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So we want to be controlled. We want to be uh, self-disciplined, but we also want to be intimate. We want to demonstrate and show the love that we have for one another as image plus image images who God is to the world around us. Hey, thanks for playing along today. I hope this was good for you. Uh, if you have questions or comments, you're always welcome to reach out. Love to hear from you. Have a great day.